0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Sustainability Speaks. On today's podcast, we're very excited to welcome Ollie, the head of the environmental risk analytics at Cambridge based tech company Resilience. Um, would you like to introduce yourself, Ollie, and tell us a bit more about resilience and what you do?
1: Yes. Hi. Uh, thank you very much. Um, Resilience is, is a relatively young company. As you said, we're based in Cambridge and we were founded uh, last year as a spin out from the University of Cambridge um, uh, from a little research centre called the Centre for Risk Studies, uh, which is sat within the Judge Business School at Cambridge. And the company is a risk analytics company. We provide um, a software platform. It's software as a service uh, to companies, primarily corporates, um, And we aim to quantify the financial risks to uh, businesses from climate change, uh, from sustainability and broader enterprise risks. Um, And we hope to empower companies in their strategic decision making to to help them mitigate risks and ultimately to transition to a more sustainable and a low carbon business model.
0: Thank you so much for that overview. I guess you've spoken a lot about in terms of the origins of resilience and essentially you've covered very briefly what problems you're aiming to tackle. But I think since, you know, a university spin out and um, a lot of our audience are recent graduates, I think it would be very interesting to hear perhaps how the idea came about. And also I know that the company is part of a collaboration between the University of Cambridge and MIT. So how did that come about as well?
1: Uh, Sure, Yeah. So so we have um, four founders uh, that started the company uh, and all have academic connections to the University of Cambridge, but but actually have fairly diverse um, backgrounds behind that. Um, They were all involved uh, actually in the founding of the Centre for Risk Studies, uh, which is the research centre I mentioned before. And that was founded after the financial crisis to assess uh, systemic risk and the management science around it. So we've, we've always worked very closely, Um, with industry and engaged with industry um, in an academic context, but really trying to translate the science um, to uh, commercial um, applications and to help businesses um, and their understanding of of various dimensions of risk. Uh, And what we realized within the last couple of years is that companies are looking for for real tools to support their understanding of risk and to embed uh, analytical approaches within their business and so we decided to, to found the company and, and I, to be clear, I'm not a founder, but I am a founding member. I was working at the center before that. And a lot of the science we're using now um, in our work and the products that we, we have built today comes from the pioneering work that we we built a, as a research center in the academic context. So it's very firmly science based. And I think you mentioned the MIT connection as well. That, that's through our chief client officer, which is Dr. Michelle Tuberson. And she's an engineer by training, actually, and an MIT alumni. So we have pretty strong um, academic credentials.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to comment on that. University of Cambridge and MIT, that is very, very academically strong indeed. I think also it would be very interesting to know who your target clients are, because you did mention, you know, that you work with businesses and inevitably all businesses are you know getting involved in analyzing financial risks of climate change, but it would just be great to know as also a quite new company um, who are you going after to um, sell your services to
1: yeah so, so our current clients consist of um, mainly corporates and multinational corporates um, across various sectors, so that includes uh, consumer goods companies, food fashion um, travel financial services so we 've got quite a broad portfolio across the various economic sectors. And, and I can name a few of our clients um, that we publicly advertise, which include um, Nestle, Coca-Cola, Burberry, uh, and others. And what, what's common to many of those is that they are multinationals. They've got very big, complex supply chains and, and complicated business model that's, that take a lot of um, time to to digest and understand. And the problems they're facing are very complex, and that, that is where we specialize. So our target clients are major companies that Um, are in need of expertise to support their um, understanding of risk and their journey towards decarbonisation and potentially net zero.
0: And actually, moving on from that point that you've just made, you have mentioned that science and academia play a very big role, if if not are the foundation of what resilience does. And inevitably, translating science into a language which is understandable for businesses must take you know quite a bit of effort how have you found yourself you know doing that in an effective way and also why is that important
1: yeah a good question so I think we, we kind of pride ourselves on our ability to, to translate the science and what that actually means is that well climate change is a very complicated topic right it, it, it covers uh, the physical science so you know the complex climate models uh, as well as economics behavioral science and that sort of thing and ultimately client models or sorry climate models aren't built for um, businesses to use and so there's a fair amount of translation that goes into that to make them um, relevant to businesses and to understand in particular what events and what trends in kind of wider society have the potential to cause uh, disruption to companies um, damage potentially and ultimately material financial impacts and we, we break that down into what we call physical risks. so you know risks from uh, the weather, from extreme weather events, and all our science comes from uh, the climate models that are used by the likes of IPCC and others. But we also spend a lot of time talking about what we call transition risks. So um, the the potential policy changes, technology changes, consumer behaviours, and all, all that stuff that is part of the the transition to a low carbon economy, that actually will present a much more material impact to businesses in the near term. So we're also trying to, to use the the kind of behavioral science and the economics to understand that dimension of, of, the, um, of the problem as well. And that all that stuff kind of represents the externality of what's going on in the world around us. We then translate that to a business with what we call a digital twin. So we we build a essentially a virtualization of a business that captures their the whole value chain. So that their finances, their commercials, their physical footprint, their carbon footprint, which is obviously very important for, for transition risk. And we, we shock that digital twin, or we stress it with various scenarios and various different actions to understand the implications of the kind of the external changes and their own um, business decisions and maybe kind of strategic business model changes. And this allows them to virtualize or, or sorry, visualize the impacts of um, these different risks to, to their business.
0: So if I'm understanding correctly, essentially, you assess climate and therefore business risk connecting the two and then, you know, delivering that presentation or data to your client. Do you then also go on to perhaps advise them how they should change their models depending on the data that you provide?
1: We do. Yeah. So um ultimately what we're trying to drive at is the yeah the strategic changes that companies can make off the back of this um and we we present kind of three dimensions of, of that to support their decision making um there is the the kind of decarbonization potential so you know how much emissions and where in their business model can they reduce um emissions uh, but also Uh, what is the cost implication obviously the financials are really important um, to this uh, as well as the risk reduction so there's kind of three dimensions there and um, the risk reduction is you know I mentioned that our background is in risk and risk analytics it's quite a powerful case to to assess um, the risk mitigation potential of, of of transforming your business model. So what I mean by that is um, if you reduce carbon across the business, firstly, you're less exposed to risk. Um, Things like uh, policy uh, measures. So take carbon pricing as an example. If you have a uh, less emission intensive business model, then you're less susceptible to those risks. But you can also capitalize on opportunities that might come out of that. So take the um, customer preferences and behavioral changes that I mentioned before. We do quite a lot of behavioral modeling and companies can capitalize on shifting preferences, and, you know, moved towards uh, more sustainable products. So there's quite a lot of insight you can pick out by uh, using that risk language.
0: Also, something that I saw on your website is um, the analysis of enterprise risk. And specifically underneath that tab, um, I saw the mention of the war in Ukraine at the moment. Could you perhaps tell myself and the listeners a little bit more about the enterprise risk analysis that you do?
1: Uh, sure. So so enterprise risk uh, is very multidisciplinary. Uh, it covers various streams and we, we have kind of buckets of Financial risk, uh, geopolitical, health, social, essentially is anything that's not uh, environmental risk, actually. And what we do um, across the board, and this is true for climate as well, is we build scenarios which aim to assess external changes in the environment. So that could be you know, a geopolitical conflicts. Um, we're currently tracking uh, developments in, in the Ukraine war, for example. Um, and understanding the, the likelihood and potential impacts um, to, to the economy and to individual businesses of those events, and in particular, we're interested in uh, what we call emerging risks, and in, in particular, catastrophic events that are potentially relatively unlikely but have major systemic impacts to businesses. And that, that's what you know. That, that, that's what companies are interested in. They typically have enterprise risk management functions that aims to um, plan for these types of events. So, for example, we've got a a pandemic model. We actually started work on that uh, years ago um, before COVID. And that's published, you can go and read about it. And we did that as a fairly kind of blue sky thinking piece of work a couple of years ago, uh, which looked at the potential for um, employee absenteeism from work and how that might impact business operations and that sort of thing. And actually, it proved quite a useful tool um, it, it, when COVID hit, because the companies that have used that scenario had kind of gone through that gaming exercise to understand how that type of event might might impact them. So we've built a framework through which you can understand the implications of lots of different types of risk and then put them all on a page together to understand um, which are the most uh, material, which are the most likely And where should they be focusing their attention when they're planning and trying to mitigate risk and and make those strategic changes, as I said.
0: Great. Thank you so much for um, explaining that. And I think what would be very interesting to hear from you as well. We've spoken a lot about, you know, what you do and also the analysis of risk. Inevitably, the reason behind doing that, you know, is to ensure climate action and change of strategies of companies that you work with what would you say would be of course there's way more than three but if you know we we narrow it down and we say what would you say are the three most likely implications of climate action? and also who is able to then make businesses act is it the governments consumers
1: okay so so i think the the three major implications uh, firstly are, are the risk of inaction so um we sometimes do what we call kind of the baseline risk, which says if you do nothing as a company, this is what you stand to lose. The world is changing and whether you like it or not, uh, you, you need to adapt with it. And that's quite a helpful and powerful um, conversation. You know, We, we found that um, for companies that are inactive, that they can stand to lose significant value of, of their business. And that typically looks like somewhere between you know, 5 and 20% over the next five years. And that's pretty important. But then the other side of that is the opportunity of transitioning. So you can you can cut that loss of value, but also potentially grow the value of your business um, if you capitalise on opportunities that the low-carbon uh, economy presents. So I guess I've given you two there, but it's, it's that kind of risk and opportunity, two-sided coin. And I think y- you also mentioned kind of what are the major drivers uh, in terms of who- who's driving this. I think... Um, investors are critical so actually a lot of the work we do is initially driven by the requirements of companies to disclose on climate risk you may be aware of what's called tcfd that the task force for climate related financial disclosures and that essentially says that companies in many global jurisdictions in the uk it's now mandatory have to disclose their impact from climate change and so they're getting put under much investor scrutiny scrutiny uh, and being asked to disclose more and be more transparent about their, their climate impacts and how they're vulnerable to climate change. Um, but there's also drivers from from governments. Obviously, I think that that's, that's important. Uh, you need stringent and clear policy. And actually, we're finding that uh, many proactive companies are strongly in favour of clear and stringent policy. And then consumers is the third major driver. So uh, you can incentivize company behavioral change and company kind of business change with your purchasing patterns. And we're hearing, you know, I said we work with a lot of consumer goods companies. They are seriously questioning their product portfolios and asking whether they need to make more sustainable products or indeed if their products are at all viable in a low carbon economy.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think also those for those people who have been following the news, shareholder activism and investor activism has is extremely on the rise in terms of, you know, demanding companies to have good c- environmental credentials to show that they're acting, you know, counteracting climate change and are working towards net zero. And I think now that we've kind of talked about that, and you have also mentioned um, reducing carbon emissions for your clients uh, through the data that you provide them with earlier on in the podcast. Something that is also present on your website, a statistic, it says that uh, 245 million tons of CO2 are being removed due to resilience's work um, and the work then of, of your clients. Could you explain perhaps how this is happening and also how you're tracking this?
1: Uh, yes, I'm a little cautious in the way we think about this and we have to be careful about bragging about how much emissions we're associated with, obviously, as we get more clients than our Emissions goes up as well. Um, But most, I think, if not all, our clients have set net zero targets. Um, Net zero targets, of course, have their own limitations, but all our clients have serious ambitions to decarbonize their business models and their value chains. And we are helping them with the tools that I've described to essentially near-term this challenge, to evaluate and optimize and put it in financial language to think critically about the implications of of decarbonizing. And uh, this is a science-based framework which is also grounded in kind of the commercial viability of making these decisions. So we, we find that companies want to do this stuff, but they have to present a business case to their senior leaders, their executives, their CEO. And so what we're doing is enabling companies to be ambitious and realize their goals, but also in a in a Kind of commercially sensitive and viable way so when we talk about the emissions that we are um, you know reducing through our client work we are hopeful that we are incentivizing at that kind of strategic level um, the the kind of responsibility for um, decarbonization fr- from you know right at the top of the business because in our experiences you know even if the sustainability department of an organization has a strong drive to do this they still have a hard sell when companies have you know various other goals that they need to make the business case and we're hopeful that that's uh, what we're doing with our analytics and the language that we're using
0: and I think also it would be very interesting to hear because as you mentioned you're quite a new company um, and you have achieved a lot you know in terms of the type of clients that you currently have what would you say perhaps would be some future goals um, for the next let's say three years
1: um, so we, we are quite aspirational we, we want to to grow the business uh, and you know all, all the dimensions of that but I think we're also interested in, in the challenge in building robust and kind of powerful analytics and that's personally what excites me you know I work with a modeling team of subject matter experts and uh, intelligent people who care greatly about the subject matter so we're hopeful that we can build a robust and powerful set of tools to to help support businesses and we're also looking to expand um, our reach to to cover uh, different subject areas as well so a major uh, drive of work at the moment for us is a development track on what we term natural capital essentially um, the risks and opportunities related to broader nature related uh, environmental and sustainability risks um That's really exciting for us. Um, Climate change is is a big part of the the problem. But of course, uh, nature and natural capital is a whole lot more complex. And so we're really excited about engaging in some of these challenges and providing similar outputs and support for businesses to become more sustainable in the broader context as well.
0: Also, I think something that would be very interesting to hear is um, how... You Know how, how is resilience helping or not necessarily helping but ensuring that its clients you know aren't um greenwashing and is how, how are you counteracting that with the type of um assessments and analysis that you're doing?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, greenwashing is, is interesting because there's a lot of as you mentioned a lot of uh, activity um in the kind of legal and liability space at the moment, so companies are being sued uh, for, for their. You know, lack of action or their potential greenwash. So, you know, uh, Shell put an advert out on the TV that that uh, gives a false impression of their green credentials or something. And there's there's a load of uh, interesting components of this in terms of the risks uh, of of not acting. So, uh, those liability risks and the potential for for litigation and getting sued. So, I think I mentioned that the risk of doing uh, nothing and the potential. Uh, impacts that 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 might uh, drive and liability risk is is a major component of that for companies so this is all about kind of incentivizing change in that way and in terms of how we can um, avoid greenwash ourselves I think we're trying to make this this science-based credible and near term so uh, not focusing on goals for 2040 2050 but what companies can be doing right now how viable that is And what are the dynamics of that problem that they need to be thinking about? So one of the challenges companies are facing is when should I invest my money in new technologies? Because take electric vehicles, for example. Electric vehicles might be cheaper in five years' time than they are today as the technology scales. They need to understand the payoff of making those decisions uh, now. And that that can be put in those risk terms. So if you invest now, you might have, more costs and there might be some kind of near-term pain to that but you're alleviating longer-term problems and there may be some major commercial benefits to to doing that in the near term so it's that evaluation piece that we're helping and trying to avoid greenwash by making it really credible and science-based.
0: Well it sounds like you are doing a lot to counteract greenwashing which is obviously super positive because I studied environment law at university it was one of my modules and mm. greenwashing was a very big topic then even though it wasn't that long ago it still is a very big topic now but it seems like a lot more is being done um, to eradicate it which is obviously a massive positive.
1: Yeah absolutely I also like the term green wishing um, which is slightly softer so you know greenwashing is a risk that all companies need to watch for and that their reputation depends on it but uh, we find there's also a lot of green wishing out there which is companies want to change but they don't quite know how to uh, and i think that's where we can help as well because we are making this actionable so a lot of the work we do looks at individual initiatives that companies might engage with uh, so you know can i um kind of green my supply chain by switching to alternative ingredients of my products and that sort of thing and Uh, companies understand on the face of it what they want to do, but they need that evaluation and the the kind of cost benefit to to really make that real. And I think that's how you take that kind of green wishing idea and and really action it and and avoid that, 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 that issue.
0: Absolutely. Well, Ollie, thank you so much for a very interesting discussion. This was great. And for all of our listeners, I highly encourage you to check out Resilience. All the links will be in the description of this podcast. So, Ollie, thank you very much for your time today.
1: Thank you. Thanks very much.
0: As always, please make sure to follow Sustainability Speaks on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn for future updates. Thank you for listening.